Stallworth calling. I saw your advertisement in the Colorado Springs Gazette. I'm interested in receiving some reading materials from you. My phone number is 103-9994. I'm very much looking forward to you returning my call. To love one another. Go ahead. You want to tear each other apart? Go on. Go on. I hope that we could be bludged one more time. But no, that ain't gonna never happen again because of this. Traded brotherhood for this shit. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako and I cannot wait to talk about The Five Bloods. I'm Laura Sampson and I can't wait to talk about The Five Bloods. And I'm David Campbell and we're just about to talk about The Five Bloods. <laughs> Yay! So, guys. The Five Bloods. Yeah. So, David, you finally you finally finished watching it, right? Oh yeah, definitely finished watching it. Uh, like you said, it's a long movie, and I yeah. took it in two hours. Although I was intrigued when when you turned around and said last week that you were able to predict the deaths of all of them in order. I'll tell you why. Now, here's here's the thing. Okay, sure. Let's let's put this out there. Should first of all, should this be a spoiler episode of the Five Bloods where we talk about the entire plot, or should we? not talk about the plot. Yes, because that's the thing. Because I, I want to dive into it and I want to talk about it. I want to talk about all the things that happened. Um, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I, that's, that's good. That's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, making, I'm taking an executive decision. We, this is a spoiler episode for The Five Bloods. If good. You're I'm glad you said that because I agree with you. <laughs> good. If you're listening to us on Resonance 104.4 FM and you don't want to hear about the five bloods then please just 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 for just for now and i can't believe i'm going to say this but i'm going to say this anyway just switch over to another radio station no 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 don't do that don't do that just <laughs> put it on mute for a little while about 10 minutes just just yeah just be just listen to silence for the next 10 minutes and we'll time it but if you don't care about that and if you listen to the podcast as well just skip forward to you know 10 minutes from now we'll time it so that it's immediately 10 minutes from now We'll stop talking about the five bloods and we'll talk about other stuff so you don't have to worry about it. Even better, if you don't have Netflix, just carry on listening because you won't be able to watch it unless you've got Netflix anyway. Absolutely. And more importantly, because you probably have, if you've already seen the five bloods, that's great. Stay listening and, and, and let us know if you agree or disagree with what we're saying. Message us on Twitter at STB underscore Resonance FM or send us a message on Instagram at, at Shoot the Breeze Show. And just put the hashtag, it's all about the three-way, hashtag shoot the breeze show, hashtag the five bloods. And let us know what you think of our opinions. So 
let's go ladies first um laura um what did you first of all what did you think the story of the five bloods was i'm really unimaginative when it comes to these questions because really i always read the blurb whenever i watch anything so i was expecting you know um a group of old guys to go and relive some memories probably with some um you know love and violence problems uh somewhere where they all became best friends and that is what happens isn't it yeah well it is but okay so the actual plot of the, the movie is because you you have a sort of a split story between the two you have uh, a story of these four friends who were in the vietnam war together in the same uh, in the same troop um and obviously the five bloods that's the five of them but there was a fifth person the leader of the troop played by chadwick boseman you know him from black panther and avengers etc um obviously he didn't come back from vietnam um so you have the split story of the five of them when they were in vietnam stumbling over a crate of gold of gold bricks and then you the second side of the story is them in the future so the four of them as older gentlemen returning back to vietnam in order to recover the gold which they had buried so you so you get to follow the two stories the two storylines um obviously because you're building towards why did chadwick boseman not make it back from vietnam and you get to see how the war affected the the four of them that, re, that returned and are going back and all the repercussions etc the five elderly gentlemen uh played by delroy lindo uh, uh clark peters um oh i'm gonna mess up names now um sorry uh, yeah and, and two i'll get their names and i'm gonna say because i do not want to i do not want to mess Daryl up Delroy lindo clark peters norm lewis and isaiah whitlock Isaiah Whitlock, thank you. Isaiah Whitlock Jr. That's the he's the one I was trying to stick on. So uh, just to uh, put names to faces, uh, um, Delroy Lindo. Those of you who've seen The Good Fight, uh, he's the uh, the head of uh, of the law firm in The Good Fight. Uh, those of you who've watched The Wire, Clark Peters is the detective, the you know the older uh, detective in there. Uh, he's also in um, ah names. Tremaine. Thank you, Treme. He's also from Treme. And Isaiah Whitlock Jr., he's from, also from, um, from the wire. the wire. Yes, and and his catchphrase, if you're a fan of The Wire, his catchphrase is dropped in The Five Bloods. I'm just going to put it out there. It's like, it's a moment where it's going to do one of two things. It's, if you're, if you don't know about The Wire, when the catchphrase is dropped, you're going to think, What? If you are a fan of The Wire, it's going to either put you on one side. It's either going to be, yes, or it's going to be, ah, it's going to be one of those two because of the way it, I would say it was crowbarred in, but I'm a huge fan of The Wire and I loved it. I was waiting for it. It happened. And I'm like, yes. Anyway, so those are the five elderly gentlemen. Um, now let's, let's talk first of all about, uh, in my opinion, about the music that is, uh, that is brought into the film. David, what did you think of the music that Spike Lee used in the film? It was mostly Marvin Gaye, wasn't it? Yes, it was mostly Marvin Gaye. He did have, there was some uh, some uh, original, there was original score as well also done. You can go and check out the music that was used on Spotify. Um, there's a The Five Bloods Spotify playlist 
uh, curated by Spike Lee, where he, you know, there, there are tracks where he actually talks about why he used a particular track, who, you know, why he went to his regular composer to go and do that particular track. So I definitely recommend go on Spotify, type in The Five Bloods uh, soundtrack, and you'll get that playlist. Check it out. But if you're a fan of Marvin Gaye, oh, oh man, that hit me. Well, one of the things I really liked about that was that um, there were some songs in there, uh, particularly What's Going On, where he used a cappella. Yes. And it was so brilliantly done. You know, you heard Marvin's voice and the lyrics. I had the, um, what's it called? The, um, the, the uh, subtitles on at the time. Mm-hmm. So the lyrics came on, I saw the words and it just, and I heard them as well. And it just completely related to what was going on at the time as well. Virtually every line, really, really well done. He chose it well. Absolutely. Now, just coming back, obviously, because, you know, this is, this is, it's not just a political drama because Spike Lee, that's what he's known for. Um, he, he often does a one for me, one for them, where he goes back and forth. He does things like Summer of Sam, which is, uh, is not really, I mean, there, there are political elements to it, but it's not really, but it's more of a popcorn type film or um, the 25th hour or Inside Man, which is basically just pure, you know, enjoyment. That's the, for them type films that he does but he blatantly does the for me type films which is more of the political black lives matter type films like do the right thing um malcolm x etc etc anyway this one while it did start off and if it is permeated through it about the black about the black experience especially in the vietnam war um there is a thriller aspect to it especially the thriller aspect is more in the second half, the second story, which is the older people, the older gentlemen going back to go and get the, the gold. But the Vietnam side of the story, then um, this is a bit that I didn't know. Uh, and that was the, oh, I, I did, ha, is it Hanoi Jane? Um, where the, the Vietnamese, uh, a tactic that the Vietnamese were using um, during the, the war was to broadcast with this woman speaking in English directly at the black platoon and basically just saying to them, why are you here fighting us? You're fighting um, on, on behalf of a man who, uh, the man, you know, the white man who will not treat you right back at home. And it's, it's full on psychological warfare that they, that they employed, which I thought was, was, was devastating. In fact, even there, there's even the bit where, and this is all supposedly true, um, there was even the bit where effectively soldiers in uh, uh, like this troop, they find out about Martin Luther King's uh, assassination through Hanoi Jane uh, talking about it or broadcasting it. And it's sort of, you can see that split in them. Why are they still here fighting? So that was a political aspect. I liked both sides because both sides really, um, they tugged at me on, on different angles. Now, uh, David, you asked a question earlier about how did I know who was going to die first in what order? But the I really knew that one of the deaths was going to be by explosion because yes. of a particular set of characters that were introduced at the uh, near the beginning of the film. So I of already course. knew that it, he told us that. It of wasn't... course, they, they, that that bit was full on. Was very well. It was like built up and set up. He's like, it, it, it was so obvious that okay, this is going to be one of the ways that is going to happen. And in fact, 
it's sort of and just as we're spoiling this, so it's fine. Um, it, the the fact that um, the the son of Delor, uh, uh, Delroy Lindo's character comes and joins them on the trip, and he is he meets this other group of people who are there um, removing mines. They're in a charity that they go around and they they uh, excavate mines, um, you know, unexploded mines in the jungles of Vietnam. And they talk about it constantly. So you know that eventually, obviously, because Isaiah Whitlock's character is walking around with a metal detector, you know that there's going to be a bit where they find a mine. I was, the bit where they found the gold, I was, it, it was tense. I was watching it through my fingers because I thought I couldn't that watch that be either. I thought there was going to be a mine in there. Exactly. I thought that, gonna, that was one, what, one was going to pick one up. Yeah. And it's the build up and the build up. And it didn't happen then, but I knew exactly when it happened. And it was when that character was, you know, walking back and he was making the speech. And it was kind of reminiscent of Deep Blue Sea, where um, Samuel L. Jackson is making the big speech and gets chomped on by the shark, right? You could tell that that's what's happening. So you could tell the buildup is coming, is coming, is coming. And then it happens. Now, the reason why I could predict the order was more um, the... It was was my um, knowledge of the actors and the level of like fa- the level of fame that they had. I knew that, uh, and in fact, the order in I kind of switched the orders a little bit in my head. I actually thought that uh, Delroy would go before Isaiah, but obviously, uh, well, I thought Isaiah would go before Delroy, but it was the other way around. Um, and you know, spoilers: only one of them comes back. So go and check it out to see who comes back. I've already said everyone doesn't matter, um, but yeah, but yeah, it was that was the only reason why I was able to predict who was going to go first. I knew that guy was going to go first because I've seen him in, in only a handful of things, maybe like two or three uh, shows. One of them was Scandal, um, where he plays uh, the main character's uh, boyfriend at some point, and it's just one small part that he plays. So I was like, well, he's not the famous one amongst all the rest of them. He's going to go first and then it's going to be the next one and then the next one and the next one. But it was gripping for me. It was just, I, I really, really enjoyed the five bloods. Laura, what did you think? I, I'm really torn between, um, between feeling exhausted, loving it and feeling completely exhausted because I spent so much of that film watching behind my fingers and going oh no oh no he's he's gonna oh no oh no oh no 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 oh no 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 not his arms and legs you know like um but but in various situations um there were just I was always expecting these horrible reveals but they always turned out to be worse than what (laughs) than what I'd expected or was scared of so I so I was kind of sitting back thinking, wow, this is great. But like, who's next all the time rather than yeah. thinking about the story. And so the bit, so um, when it gets really, uh, when it gets really moving at the end, um, I, I was kind of desensitized by then. Sure. Um, for me, once the one, it was sort of like once the, um, the mind, the, the mind goes off, that oh I, I say the once the mind goes off once the mind goes off the first time because it goes off majestically the second time as well um that i did that i did not see the mind being the cause of his death you remember the the the, the other 
you know, ex-boyfriend of the, the, the mine, the girl who was running the mine charity when he was running away and then she stepped in the mine and it blows him up. That I didn't see coming. Um, but it was, it was, once that first mine explosion had happened, I wasn't expecting a mine explosion anymore. I was expecting another, I was expecting different types of deaths because it's sort of like, you don't want to keep using the same method constantly. Otherwise it becomes boring. It was a great lesson about minds that, you know, about how relentless and, you know, and invisible they are and how they're still everywhere over, over war zones from the past, you know, 60 or 70 years there there loads of them are still there and that could happen mm-hmm. funny enough i anyone did, who happens to be there funny enough i did expect that second one and i and, and i had a feeling it was going to be one of those three that was going to um copy that that yeah. for me was an expectation and it happened okay. um, one of the things about the film i did like kind of respect as well was the change in aspect ratio at certain points yes to give you the impression that you were watching something that had been filmed in the past that was just now being shown um one of the most disturbing scenes was that point in near the beginning where that guy gets shot he was shot as a as a collaborator i think and i had this i thought that this was actual film uh, newsreel that was being shown that was incorporated into the film until wasn't sorry wasn't it no it wasn't okay. um because when I, I i replayed it and there was something that struck me as odd and that was the point if you saw, if you watch it again you'll see that he gets shot and it's in his head and the blood spurts out and just carries on spurting out in a dramatic fashion okay okay and that told me no that that was filmed for it that that you know that's a very good catch because i didn't i was i i i bought into that um you know hook line and sinker i thought that i was actual news footage because they they sliced in different news footage as well yeah but that's i guess that's the point it's the point is all of those atrocities did actually happen so you know it just it's it's a case of whether it's dramatized i know there's an argument for the fact that well you know it it it, it was dramatized and so it's not real but and and it, the, the same sort of argument was being made against um oh, is it hunters on amazon prime where it's a, it's it's a it's a tv show with al pacino and a number of other people where they are um a group of uh, Jewish American, uh, Jewish Americans, well, mostly Jewish American, and they form this hunting troupe where they start tracking down Nazis in America uh, after the Second World War. And there is a uh, there was an episode where a scene is shot where they where they flash back to the concentration camp, and th- this this really evil character that they've been chasing has organized the um, prisoners into a chessboard of some sort. Now that kind of kicked off some controversy because apparently that wasn't, that, that was made up by the film. It wasn't actual factual, but t- again, I think the people that are criticizing it for that are missing the point. The point is in that situation, there were a lot of horrific acts that were done. Not all of them were fully documented. And as such, not all of them people know about. 
So the fact it's the that that was just an example or sort of an an analogy for how horrific that was, which again is the same thing as the Vietnam War. There were tons of things that were done by the, the Viet Cong as well as the Americans and other people who were there to soldiers and to people and to civilians. That there aren't people alive to be able to tell those stories. So in order to, it's like whatever you can come up with now, there was probably worse that was actually done. So I, I, I still give that scene props. I, you know, it, it, it hit me hard. Um, the, other thing, the other thing I just wanted to pick up was the, your, what you're saying about Hanoi Jane. I mean, I knew about Hanoi Jane because um, if you've ever watched MASH, you'd know that um, <clears throat> that actually broadcast snippets of, what was supposedly Hanoi Jane on that program as well. You hear it. And um, yeah, they used uh, Hanoi Jane to undermine the, the confidence and the morale of all the troops. And they just picked on different um, groups that were there. So yeah, um, she, that particular character, I thought they did it really, really well. But the story is one of mostly of redemption as well, because remember he, he went back because he had he was suffering serious PTSD, one of uh -huh. the characters, and he alienated his son as a result of that. And he managed to do two things while he was there. This is Delroy Lindo we're talking about. Two yeah. things: one, he reconciled to some extent with his son, but also two, he reconciled with uh, Stormy Norman as well. Yes, well, Stormy Norman being his. Um... The, the, you know, uh, Chadwick Boseman back in the and yeah, so that that was that you could see that coming as well. That yeah, wasn't definitely it wasn't a big twist. It was the, the I guess the 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 reveal was more how it happened. You could tell they were planting, uh, you know, they were planting those that thread throughout as you were going through, and you just need to figure out how did it finally happen. Was it over greed? Was it um? you know, an anger, anger, was it a disagreement or whatever? It was just the build-up to it. Uh, and the reason why they kept it that way is so that you can, you know that that's what's triggering, triggering his PTSD, but you don't know why it was doing it until the final reveal where you see that it was actually an accident. It was just, it, it, it just, that somebody happened to sneak up behind him, he reacted, he fired, and accidentally hit the guy in the stomach, and that's what killed the guy. So yeah. it's like, yeah. I so agree with you on that score, but um, I must admit, I had figured out, towards a, a kind of like a quarter of the way through that he killed him by he, well he killed him by accident but um that i don't know how i worked it out but i just it was like oh he killed him by accident yeah couldn't get over it and that's where i was coming from so by the time it was um it actually happened that particular reveal i'd already seen that yeah i guess you're yeah. listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. I'm David Campbell. And I know we kind of went a little bit over 10 minutes talking about the five bloods, but we, but you know, let's just, let's just put final, final review on it. Um, and we'll start ladies first. Um, uh, Laura, uh, the five bloods, yay or nay? Absolutely. Yay. It's a great example of what, my favourite thing that Spike Lee does in his filmmaking, which is really to kind of blend almost like cartoonish sort of fiction in with really awful facts and, and you know, hit you in, in your heart that way. Yeah. Okay, David, yay or nay? Oh, definitely a yay. Um, I don't think it's his best. I don't think it's his best. 
but a definite EA. I mean, I gave it three and a half to four. So near enough four, to be quite honest. Um, okay. Yeah, it was, it's nicely layered. I mean, it's not too, um, it, it's there in your face and it's, um, you know, it, it says what it needs to say. And his timing was impeccable because he made it last year and to tie in with the Black Lives Matter to bring it to the fore, not knowing what was obviously going to happen this year. Of course. And for me, it's definitely, definitely a yay. Um, we're going to be, and I agree with you, if, I don't feel, I personally don't find it as his best um, because, and we can talk about that in, uh, you know, in a few minutes when we talk about our top five favorite Spike Lee movies. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing later on in, in this episode. Uh, we're also going to be doing, as part of the film and TV news, we'll be having a conversation with good, great, great friend of the show, uh, filmmaker Jenna Suru, who will be telling us what she's been up to in the in COVID pandemic. Um, so let's roll into the next segment, which is film and TV news. <laughs> listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm Laura Sampson. And I'm producer Dave. Hey, we got it in there. And we have back in the studio, prolific filmmaker, uh, businesswoman, uh, feminist icon, and basically part of the show, really. She's been on the show far. She's the, she's been the, she's, she's the most uh, returned guest and friend of the show. Please tell us your name and watch one of the things that you're here to uh, promote. I'm Gina Suru. Thank you so much, you guys, for having me again back on the show. I'm so excited to see you again. Yeah, it's been such a really exciting time. And I was so blessed um, to have you guys um, at the opening night of LIF. I know you also had the festival director, Natasha, on the show, who's incredible. And it was a beautiful, magical night just before lockdown, literally. So that was really, really special. Such a massive success and really great times. And I really thank you for coming. Um, since then, so much has happened, really. And it's been a really, really exciting time. So we're really blessed. Uh, first, I'm really happy I was back on set um, two days ago. So that was that was a big news. <laughs> oh, so, okay, now, now I want to talk about that. First of all, what is the project that you're currently filming? Oh, thanks so much for asking. It's actually um, a very big honor because I've been chosen by Paris city official uh, to perform a text for the liberation of Paris. So every year we do commemorate the liberation of Paris. It's a very important time of the year. And obviously this year with the pandemic, things had to be uh, a little bit different. So they, they came up with a very brilliant original idea also so more people can have access is to commemorate the liberation of Paris through some episodes. Uh, so there are some actors who's been chosen, like Mathieu Seigneur, who's an amazing actress I love so much, and Alex is also amazing, and all, some other amazing actors, and I was part of them. So two days ago, we've been filming this amazing episode in their beautiful Hotel de Ville. And I was so honored because it's such an important commemoration for France. Uh, the team was wonderful. Um, I'm very, very honored because also you'll be able to enjoy the national anthem and a lot of historic pieces that will be put together so we can just remember this really enormous page of our history. So how did the shooting actually take place? Because right now, a lot of film 
production companies and film studios and, and productions are literally shutting down because of restrictions for COVID. So what sort of measures were put in place by the production team to make sure that you were shooting in a safe environment? That's such an important point because obviously now health, safety is what's absolutely most important. So it was a very limited crew. Uh, we really respected the social distanciation. We're wearing masks, um, except when I was performing because obviously I was really far away. I'm the only actor performing in the episode. So this really helps also social distancing where sometimes in fiction, depending on what the action is, it can be a lot more uh, tricky and challenging. Um, so yeah, we, we were just really careful with the social distancing. Um, we've also, uh, for instance, the national anthem has been recorded the day before, so three days ago, uh, with the chorus. Um, so like really things were absolutely optimized, so it, it was extremely safe. Uh, also the Hotel de Ville is such a magnificent place, it, it's so huge. So like, it's almost like you're outside, like it's, it's really, really, absolutely momentous and big and, and wonderful and the team was absolutely lovely i was so touched because the even as a symbol offered me you know what we call it in french a gerbe de fleurs so some flowers as like a symbol of a commemoration and it was really a beautiful moment so i'm, I'm very thankful for them for um, trusting me for this okay so when is is this going to air when can people get to see this so you'll be able to see it from August 17th to August 29th. The episode I'm in is broadcasted on the 27th, but really the, the whole bunch of episodes really tells the story of this liberation and of the Second World War. Um, so it will be on the 27th and we'll make sure to share everywhere with also some images of the history, some images so you can also see what actually happened because the whole point, what's really important for us is to commemorate this, this important time of our history. So um, it will be uh, airing on uh, Paris City official website, all their social media, like literally all their networks to make sure also that we can spread the word with as many people as we can internationally because obviously this page of our history is, is really international. It's not just about France. Absolutely. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. And I'm David Campbell. And we're joined in the studio by family. She's family now. Uh, filmmaker Jenna Suru. Um, one of the last times that you were in the studio with us, you were inviting all of us to come and see the premiere of your film, Large Door. Um, now, I was the only one who couldn't make it because that was around the time that COVID decided to step in and, and whatnot. So um, tell us, What's the news on Large Door? What's happening right now with that film? Well, thanks so much. So first, we would really love to thank everyone who's been putting reviews on IMDb or just for external reviews. We've had such great, great feedback and we're really blessed by all the support because Large Door is also a tribute to artists who bring change. And considering the situation, we really need, um, well, more artists and just more people who really struggle and fight for change, just like our NHS, who are just remarkable. Um, so we've been really, really blessed by a lot of support and keeping sharing uh, the passion for Saint-Tropez 67 uh, worldwide. Um, the film was represented by our sales, uh, Adlers and Associates on Canvertil Market, and uh, did raise, uh, generated a lot of interest from uh, distributors because our, our goal for the film, it, it really is a film for internationals, obviously France, because it's also a page of our history, um, but it's really meant to be released in theaters, TV, internationally. 
So yeah, Adler and Associates are representing us, but doing a wonderful job with that. It's a film we love very much. It's at the very top of our lineup. And we're just really, really blessed by all the wonderful interest we've got until really recently. So yeah, there will be more coming up and we just can't wait to really share this important page of our history with the world. Yeah, I'm still, I still haven't seen it. I, and I, I don't know, somehow I'm going to have to try and sneak into one of the, I'm going to need to try and get, I don't know, footage from somewhere or buy the DVD. So please let us know the moment it is available for us to, to get, because I'll be the first person in line to watch that movie. Because we've been talking about this for easily two years now. And uh, I, I still haven't seen it. And these two have already seen it. And I'm super jealous of the, the both of them. <laughs> they went to do the whole red carpet premiere stuff. And I didn't get to do that. And I feel jealous. So It was great. It lived in my memory even more than any other premiere I've been to as well. Because it really was the last time I went out for three yeah. months. <laughs> um, it was... Uh, it was a really lovely night, but there was kind of a strange, this might be the last time we were in a cinema for a while, sort of an atmosphere. At the time, it made me a bit worried, but, but also enriched the experience for me. And so I think I tend to forget events in films, but I remember Large Door quite well, still. Um, so, yeah, thanks, COVID, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I hidden, remember. Hidden, uh, <laughs> hidden <laughs> I remember um, the premiere as well, and I remember the film. The film was uh, absolutely lovely to watch, and it was um, a very, very, very nice, subtle, gorgeously filmed film um, short. So, yeah, thank you very much. What have you done with the film? I, I, I think you said something about going to uh, Cannes. Now, that hasn't, that obviously didn't happen this year, um, not in the format that it, we're used to. So, did you manage to contact all those? Con people that you were going to speak to in Cannes. Tell us all about it. And speaking of which, you talk about a virtual Cannes, right? So thank you, Dave, for, for bringing that up. So uh, Jenna, you went to virtual Cannes. Tell us, tell us about, as producer Dave has asked, tell us about virtual Cannes. Yeah, thanks so much, you guys, for your kind words. It really means the world. Uh, virtual Cannes was amazing. So actually, obviously, Cannes this year didn't happen. The film was screened for the very first time on Cannes last year. It was amazing, so you can enjoy this on our YouTube channel. For this year, the virtual market was actually, well, obviously it's, it's not exactly the same thing as the real market, but it was still really possible to organize a lot of Zoom meetings and Skypes and still talk on the phone. So I think it's been a, a really big success because we had such a few time to actually organize that. And it was still definitely doable to to um, do the Zoom meetings and still connected with people. So uh, in my point of view, it was a huge success. And also um, Marcus mentioned he couldn't attend because yeah, obviously health and safety is what's most important. And for those who couldn't attend the premieres before lockdown in the US or in Europe, we've also just released the trailer of Lash Door. So it's available on our YouTube. It's in also on our Instagram bio, Lash Door Film, if you want to visit us. Um, we've also, for those who couldn't make it to the uh, leaf opening night uh, for obvious reasons. Um, we've also released the Q&A uh, that happened with festival director Natasha and myself uh, that you know uh, just after the screening. So this has just been released so you can enjoy it fully from the comfort of your room. Just to um, jump in there to people, um, 
Marx has said several times that, you know, back in the studio, blah, blah, blah. We're not in the studio. We're, this is a Zoom recording, hence the reason why sometimes we dip in and out. Um, we're, we're still maintaining social distancing. And Jenna is in Paris now. How's, how's things yes. been here in Paris? Well, it's been, I think it's been amazing to see the solidarity everyone showed. Um, when I went to Paris two days ago for the filming, I was, it was the first time I, I was like, literally out and i was a bit worried but maybe you know people would not feel well and but i think i really can feel a lot of solidarity people are helping themselves you know in the streets in the subway everyone is really maintaining the social distancing wearing masks like for instance it's absolutely you absolutely have to wear the mask um in the french subway i'm not sure about london maybe it's the same um so it's it's actually it's been it's been really sunny and i think a lot of people are really really thankful for what the nhs is doing for everyone's efforts really because everyone is struggling and i think it's a beautiful atmosphere to feel and i really hope we can keep that in ourselves as much as we can and do you have any plans i know obviously there's a travel restriction at the moment but does your work um involve you coming back to the uk any time in the near or distant future? Well, as far as I understand right now, uh, traveling is not recommended, like only necessary traveling are recommended. So obviously we're really following the rules. Uh, for now, I'm still doing all my work um, online because it's actually, I was actually amazed to see during this past, it's been almost four months now, and I was amazed to see how much it didn't uh, touch our work as much as I thought because I've been amazed by all the amazing people I've met on the Zoom. Uh, we've been working on so much. I've been writing. Uh, the virtual market was incredible with Khan. It, it worked really well. And also I'm really enjoying the panels we're organizing to connect with our community. So I think it's, it's a lot about also seeing the opportunity here really to be more connected, to, to also maybe be more international. And my company, Bellypock Film, from the beginning is an independent company, which is international and which also has some priorities like um, eco-friendly filming. And I think this is actually just showing how important it is and also how much we're not impacted. Because really, with Bellypock Film, we're not really impacted by the virus because we're still doing so much on Zoom. We can still do a lot of pre-production because we talk a lot about filming. But also a very important part, and actually the longest part of um, making a film is pre-production and post-production. And these are things we are very lucky we can still do now. Like for instance, I'm, I remember some people in my family mentioning during the Second World War, everyone would be confined for obvious reasons, but they didn't have this technology we're enjoying now. And now there is so much that we can do. So I think it's also a great moment to kind of think about our priorities. Like this summer, I'm not gonna travel, because I really want to mention as much as I can, you know, the social distancing, but I'm working on, um, on doing a potager. Uh, I'm not sure about the English word, but in permaculture, you know, so a potager that kind of um, sustains by itself, really make sure it's as eco-friendly as we can, just to really experiment and hopefully use it more and more. So just really seeing priorities and enjoying what we can from here. That's excellent. In fact, that was, that was one of the questions I was going to ask. Um, uh, sorry, I think I cut uh, David off. Uh, were you producer David, you had a question? All I was going <laughs> to ask was, um, what projects are you going to be uh, doing for the future? 
Well, actually, right now, I'm, I'm really excited because uh, we're also in preparation of the Paris International Film Festival. Um, so this is meant to happen in February. We might slightly change the dates if it's, um, if, you know, the pandemic uh, hits us. Um, but we really want to have something going live, like not, not just virtual. We might do some virtually, but we really want it to be uh, to, for filmmakers to connect and network. So along the year, we're having these virtual panels, which have been really amazing. It's, they're really meant for education, and a booklet is sent to all attendees. So when they come in, uh, they come with their notebooks and questions. So recently, we've had one on um, growing your audience on social media with amazing panelists. And our next one is Sunday next week at 6 p.m. Uh, UK time. And with two really amazing panelists, I'm really excited for. They are both writers, but also actors and directors. And we're gonna talk about what to do to optimize your scripts in the development phase, because a lot of filmmakers right now are writing, obviously with the lockdown. Um, so really to know how to optimize them in this stage, which I, we know is so important, so it can get selected at the best festival, distributed, and just good in an artistic way. Excellent. Now, I know that yourself and uh, Natasha Marberger, who is another person that I, I will try and get onto one of these Zoom calls, I know that um, both of you have been working together on regular Zoom calls that, or, you know, that have uh, they, to encourage this sort of network amongst filmmakers. I was privileged to attend one of them. Unfortunately, I've, with everything else, it, it just, it's been, I, I, everything else clashes with, you know, meeting times and everything else. Tell us about uh, these Zoom call meetings and maybe when the next one is and how people can join. Yes, so our next call um, meeting, so the panel is happening Sunday next week at 6 p.m. BST. Uh, Natasha does organize a lot of, um, a lot of Zoom calls. Um, I'm not quite sure about the next one. Um, I, I subscribe to her newsletter, but I'm not sure about the, the date for her next one. But we also had, had her on our panel uh, with Paul McEvoy, who's also the director and co-founder of Fright Fest, which is a very important festival for genre. So I know, like, like us, she also really works on that because we really try to give the very best in these transition times to filmmakers. Support is always really important, but not even more than ever. So we really do our best to support them, give them very hands-up tips because for instance some panels would have very big guests guests who are like really really successful we try to um arrange those panels so they're really with very hands-on tips because like when you meet someone who's already really big in the industry it's really inspiring also you want to know how to get there you know so all panels are really about that and really like the nitty-gritty of um, how to work on things so it can improve and uh, also we don't, we chose not to record them. So it's really a safe space for everyone to ask any question without being worried that everyone would see it. Like it's a very safe space where everyone can interact. And um, it, it's, we, we've had wonderful feedback. Also to support the community, um, I'm uh, offering our panel attendance free one-to-ones. Uh, so during half an hour, I, I answer their questions. I try to um, give them my experience so they can move on with their projects, know how to submit to festivals, if they have any questions for Paris festivals. So really we're doing anything we can. We're so thankful for the great success of Large Door, for Leaf opening night with Natasha and all the press and you guys attending, that's amazing. We really do our best to also bring change in reality. 
Yes, we're going to put uh, links to uh, Natasha's newsletter and to the web links and to your site as well so that we can help uh, do our, our part in promoting that community. Uh, you're listening to Shoot and Breathe on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. And I'm David Campbell. Uh, Jenna, we want to say thank you very much for taking the time. Filmmaker, friend of the show, uh, business, entre business entrepreneur woman, lady, uh, just doing, doing. Uh, I was going to say some stuff, but I'm, like, I'm I can see producer Dave's head is like, oh, no, stop, stop, move on, move on. Uh, <laughs> filmmaker Jenna Suru, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, whenever you want to come back on the show, just send me a message, send any of us a message. We will be absolutely delighted to bring you back in, even if it's just to be a little still in the corner of the Zoom call, just so we can see your face. <laughs> while we have a conversation with somebody else. It'll be fantastic. Uh, thanks so much, guys. I, I love to see you again. And thank you so much for having me back again. It's, it sounds like each time we have so much to discuss. So I was really happy to see the three of you again. Thanks so much. Excellent. Okay. Pleasure. Bye. <laughs> so that was a fantastic conversation that we had with uh, Jenna Suru. Um, telling us all her projects and the fact that she's still doing stuff during lockdown. Let us jump into our next segment, which is top five favorites. This week, we said that we're going to do, it's going to be a Spike Lee episode. Um, so we have already talked about the five bloods in, our, in, in the earlier part of the show. Uh, now we're going to jump into top five favorite Spike Lee movies. So we're going to do what we always do when we do our top five favorites. We go around the room. It's just the three of us, myself, Marcus E. Ako. And me, Laura Sampton. And me, David Campbell. Excellent. Like to catch you guys off guard. Like when I see you guys are slipping, I'm like, there you go. Anyway, uh, so we're going through our top five. We'll go around the room. Uh, Laura will go first. We'll say her number five and four. Then producer Dave will go with his five and four. And I'll go with my five and four. And we go around the room until we get to ones. So Laura Sampson, what is your number five and four favorite Spike Lee movie? Before I tell you, I just want to say in general that I've really enjoyed going back over Spike Lee's movies. There are lots and lots that I had not seen that I <clears> now have. And so I'm really happy to have got an education in that way. It hasn't really changed my top five though. My number five is The Five Bloods. Um, the reason it's not higher is because it's really long and the suspense just actually almost killed me. My number four is Malcolm X because I think it's a brilliant film with a brilliant performance by Denzel Washington who always plays kind of tragic black heroes really, really, really well, I think. Again, it's really, really long though and quite harrowing. So that's why it's not higher. Over to you. Okay, David, uh, what is your number five and four? Okay. Um, my number five is Summer of Sam. Now, I know you think it's one, uh, one of those films for them, but I actually really enjoyed it at the time. And I think there are other, well, there are other themes going on there. Um, not only the fact that um, the, the, it's about the killer who actually isn't part of, of the 
of the actual film. He's actually part, he's actually the cause of uh, a lot of the action that goes on in the film and explores the way that people actually um, want to try and identify and take action of themselves for themselves against an alleged perpetrator. And this is what, it's a theme that comes up time and time again. So uh, yeah, that's my number five. Number four is his first film. Um, She's got to have it. I, I still think that was a brilliant film. I thought it was a really, really good film. I loved it when it first came out. I still watch it every once in a while now as well. Uh, yeah, so that's my five and number four. Uh, the uh, she's got to have it. I haven't seen it yet. It is on my you know filmmakers classic list to of, of films to watch because I definitely want to go back to it and I will. Uh, my number five is Summer of Sam, same as yourself. I, I loved Summer of Sam. And w- my comment about, you know, one for us, one for them, wasn't really to denigrate any of that for them pictures because I am a huge consumer of the, for the I am them, effectively. I'm the Marvel, DC, blockbuster. I wouldn't say Michael Bay, I won't go that far, but I love those kind of movies as well. Not saying that uh, Summer of Sam is one of those like blockbuster type movies. It's not, but it's like, it's, it moved away from the black experience, which is what um, uh, Spike Lee is pretty much known for, which is great because it's great for him to expand. Um, you had, um, uh, you know, uh, oh, what's his name? Adrian, Adrian Brody, it's in it. Um, you got all these other type of actors who are, who are character actors who don't necessarily pop up a lot in Spike Lee movies. Um, who John Leguizamo as well, who was the lead. And it's, it's a great, great pick. For me, it is one of uh, Jennifer Esposito's best works ever. Um, she, she's rarely ever seen in films these days, but she's great. Anyway, loved uh, uh, Summer Sam. It's my number five. My number four is the original Kings of Comedy. Uh, so it's a, a comedy show. Um, you know, you've, it's um, Spike Lee directing... Uh, Cedric Entertainer, Steve Harvey, D.L. Hughley, and Bernie Mac. It was my first, it was my introduction to these four comedians, and these four juggernauts in comedy. Um, and you get to see them basically performing stand-up and their interaction back and forth. And they, they are brilliant comedians. Uh, yeah, they've all gone their separate ways in terms of having strife and whatnot, but you never see that in, in that film. Um, they've all gone into various levels of success. Cedric D'Antena is still doing movies. Bernie Mac, unfortunately, passed away. Uh, D.L. Hughley is recently recovering from COVID. And uh, Steve Harvey is having some issues with uh, being a Trump fan. But we won't go into that. But uh, anyway, the, when, if, you want, if you love comedy, especially, I don't want to say black comedy or you know, black humor or urban humor, humor, but it is primarily in that direction. And I love it, and I love that 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 film. I got to watch it. I still crack some of the Bernie Mac jokes to today till today. Uh, so that's my number four original kings of comedy. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We are talking our top five favorite Spike Lee movies. Laura Sampson, what is your number three and number two? Thank you. My number three is Mo Better Blues. 1990 I think it came out and it wasn't that long after that I saw it it was the first film I ever saw with Wesley Snipes in it the first film I ever saw with Denzel Washington in it the first film I ever saw with Spike Lee in it and um, probably one of the first films I ever saw where black people were the main characters and it was all about music and it was and it was kind of normal that most people in the film were, was black 
Um, it's not really a story about that. It's more like a kind of power struggle between the trumpeter and the saxophonist of the jazz band. But um, but yeah, it had a big effect on me at the time and I've watched it a few times since and appreciated things like the costume design, which um, I see echoed in other Spike Lee movies now. Um, didn't didn't know then. I just thought it looked quite comic book, but serious at the same time. Exciting to look at. Uh, my number two is um, right on the other end of the spectrum, the 1997 documentary for little girls, which is um, which kind of delves into the experience of the people who um, who went through the 1963 um, bombing of the church in Birmingham, Alabama, which killed four um, four teenage girls. And you know, he just really kind of delves in there, finds lots of people, um, has you know, gives lots of people a voice which they never really had on film before and no one's really ever asked them and you and there's and the way I feel like the way it's edited it's um kind of meant to be quite overwhelming for somebody watching it there's just so much going on there's so many different um elements that go into that that went into the situation behind the bombing and then the civil rights movement that it sparked after that. So a really important, if hard to watch documentary, that's my number two. Excellent, thank you, Laura. Uh, Producer Dave, what's your number three and number two? My number three, well, it's the, the Five Bloods that went straight in there at number three. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I've, we've said enough about that, so I don't need to go into there. My number two <clears throat> is a double header actually. It's uh, Malcolm X and Black Klansman. Malcolm X, uh, very, very good film. Um, it is long, but it's a very, very good film. And Laura said enough about that. Black Klansman, very comedic, um, based on a true story, again, like Malcolm X, but uh, more, more comedy than anything else that he's done. Than he, well, not than, than he's done, but more comedy. Very well directed. Uh, he was up there for a, a best Oscar um, director. Didn't get it, but still, um, yeah. So that's my number two. Doubleheader, Black Klansman and Malcolm X. Okay, so I think I, I think I looked at your, I must have looked at your notes, David, because <laughs> my, my, number, my number three is The Five Bloods. In fact, funnily enough, I can guess what your number one is because it was actually my number three, but I, was, I crossed it out and I'd put The Five Bloods when I was doing this list yesterday. Um, and you're right, we've talked about The Five Bloods enough. Don't need to talk about it. My number two is not a double header, but it's Malcolm X. Um, it, so it's, it's essentially Spike Lee's epic. That is, when you look at every director, uh, there is one picture that you can look at and say that's that's their picture, right? That's that's a that's a Scorsese film. You think Scorsese, you immediately think Goodfellas, right? You think Francis Ford Coppola, you think Godfather, right? That kind of stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, producer David shaking his head is like, no, 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 no. Fair enough. Um, we'll have this argument, but I, what I'm saying is the first film that springs to mind when you think of a director, that's the kind of thing that you think of. For me, Spike Lee, when I first, when I think of Spike Lee, 
I know for a lot of people, it's do the right thing that pops up. The reason why for me, it's Malcolm X that pops up is because that was my introduction to Spike Lee. Um, I, that was the first Spike Lee movie I watched. It is the one that resonated with me the most. It had such powerful performances from every single character that is in there. Um, it is, uh, it, it's, so that's, that's my number two. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. I'm David Campbell. Go around the room, all saying our number ones. Laura, what's your number one? <clears throat> My number one is Black Klansman. Because of even more than what I think uh, a handful of really, 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 really brilliant performances by Adam Driver, John David Washington, and all of the guys who played the Klansman. Um, but I was just completely astounded and still am each time I go back to it um, by the way that Spike Lee can control comedy and use it to hit you in your gut later on. Like there, there are just, it's, there's not enough time to go into how subtle I think that is, but, but overall, I really think that he, you know, he took so much experience of um, things that I've enjoyed in the past and other, you know, other kind of comedy, not comedy films. And um, yeah, um, made a film that, that was, that was important and people, uh, but not too worthy. That's my number one. Okay, David, what's your number one? I could have talked one? about it in, in a more eloquent way, but, uh, but yeah, there we go. My number one is, no surprise, Do the Right Thing. Um, for a 1989 film, it just knocked everything. I mean, it was his third film, and it just knocked everything else out of the park. Um, it stands up today. Um, before that, he'd done uh, School Days, and straight after that, he'd done More, more Better Blues. But... For me, <clears throat> Do the Right Thing packed a punch then. It packed a punch 10 years later in 99. It packed a punch in the 2000s, and it still packs a, a massive punch now. Um, everything to do with um, Black Lives Matter, you can reference them in a 1985 film. Um, it's all there. Everything is there um, from the way the cops react to the way the people react everything is all there. Music soundtrack is excellent. Um, I was never really that much into hip hop, but I, I just thought the music soundtrack was brilliant. So yeah, do the right thing. By far and away is best film in my opinion. Okay, so I did have do the right thing on my list. However, I'm still digesting do the right thing. It, it, and for the, exactly the point that you made, because it was made such a long time ago, but it, was, it seems as if it was made last week because all the points are still relevant to it. The only reason why I crossed it off my list is because I still want to have that sit-down conversation with somebody to help me digest this movie. As soon as I digest it, I'm going to be able to, have, be able to put it on my list. My number one is Black Klansman, because Black Klansman for me is just, it's, it's Spike Lee uh, putting together all the years of experience, all the decades of experience in filmmaking, and basically putting it into one epic movie that it has humor, has intelligence, it's a true story, 
um, and he, he there's only there's only one tiny little part of it, and he, and I, I I would like to talk about it. I'd like to talk about it in public. So I would like to suggest that next week we do a Black Klansman spoiler special, same as what we did with the Five Bloods this week. I want to do that next week. Um, right. So anyway, you've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I've been Marcus E. Akko. I've been Laura Sampson. And I'm still David Campbell. Say thank you very much for listening. Please stay safe. Wash your hands. Social distance. Wear your masks. Stay safe. We love you. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And see you next week. Bye.